Welcome to the Fellowship Regional Church Podcast. Just a quick reminder that the reason we are recording these sermons in this format is because we've had a little difficulty uh, on the technical side of things. So we will get the we'll get that fixed. We should be back to normal uh, for this next week. So thanks for uh, thanks for hanging with us. This is Daniel chapter four. To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are His signs, how mighty His wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What a transition. You see, this is not my opener. This is Daniel chapter 1, verses 4, I mean chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. This is King Nebuchadnezzar speaking. This is the same one who wanted to kill everybody in the first chapter. Um, this, is, this is the one who in the first chapter um, said that everybody needed to follow this certain diet and Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said we would like to do things our way. This is the same one who said in chapter 2, um, whoever cannot interpret or tell me my dream or interpret my dream will be killed. This is the same one who... Um, through Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the fiery furnace. You see, but there's a transition happening. You see, in Daniel 1, we find that Daniel is his friends and his friends when choosing to eat a kosher diet and not defiling themselves with the king's food, that Nebuchadnezzar changed the diet for all of his wise men. Thus, Nebuchadnezzar learned that God's way was pragmatically better for himself. Daniel chapter 2, when all of the other wise men found it impossible to tell Nebuchadnezzar both what his dream was and its interpretation, Daniel was able. Thus, the king learned that Daniel's God was the greatest of all gods and the revealer of mysteries. Excuse me. Daniel chapter 3, once the golden idol was put in place, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to bow down and worship it upon being thrown in the fiery furnace and not recanting, but rather choosing execution. They were delivered by Christ himself. Nebuchadnezzar saw the fourth figure and reported that he looked like the son of the gods. Thus, Nebuchadnezzar decreed that no one could speak bad of their God. And then, in chapter 4, the pagan, tyrant, murderous idolater, uh, idolatrous ruler, the, the, the ruler of the known world, seemingly suddenly changes his entire worldview. But not only his worldview, something else is different. His heart, his speech, even his own love and hope for his people. I want to travel through this story with you and occasionally stop as if it's some sort of tour of the text and point out some of the many sights, observations, questions that I saw in it as I went through it this week. So let's get right to the story. Verses 1 through 3. Let me read this again. To the peoples, nations, and men of every language who live in all the world, may you prosper greatly. It is my pleasure to tell you about the miraculous signs and wonders that the Most High God has performed for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. What a transition. Tell me something. Can you remember any State of the Union address? presidential public speech or global forum in history that a world leader would have 
stepped forward and said these things. So these first three verses are actually the intro to a letter that went out to the entire world, or at least as far as they were concerned. And the entire thing is about how Nebuchadnezzar had this massive conversion to believing in God. And it begins by him saying, everything is different now. It is my pleasure to tell you about what God has done in my life. And I hope all of you are doing well. What a massive shift from this guy who was a maniac, like the first three chapters. And now something different has happened. Observation number one, he has moved from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. Can you imagine any State of the Union address, presidential public speech or global forum or world leader in memorable history that would step forward and speak like this? Imagine the hardest person that you know showing up at work one day and saying something similar. Guys, I need to talk to you. I've had this change in my life and I need to talk to you about it. I believe in God and I want good for you. It would just be strange. A true sign of a heart that has been changed by God is one that moves from self-centeredness to God-centeredness. And the effects of a heart that is God-centered will instantly show fruit in the realm of being hopeful and generous to other people. But what it takes to get us to this level of humility does not come, does not come through comfort, but through pain. We'll look closer at this in a moment. The story goes this way. Nebuchadnezzar's letter says, So I, Nebuchadnezzar, had this dream, and it was a terrifying dream. It was a dream about an enormous tree, a big, beautiful, wonderful tree. It was a life-producing tree. Up, on, up in its branches, birds, had, uh, birds moved in and lived in this massive tree. The fruit from this tree fed all kinds of animals. The shade protected them. It created this massive habitat for people just to live and to, um, for, for animals to live and, and, and just um, carry on with their life in the, in the peace, in the joy, in the shade of this massive tree that reached all the way to the sky. But then suddenly a messenger came and the messenger said, cut down the tree. And the tree was cut down. But the stump remained. Nebuchadnezzar woke from the dream and said, this, this is a terrifying dream. He called in all of his astronomers, his astrologers, his uh, magicians, his wise men. He asked them all to tell him, you know, what does this dream mean? And none of them could. But then finally Daniel did. Finally Daniel arrives. It's interesting because verse 8 says, finally Daniel arrived. In verse 9, the king says to Daniel, Daniel, I know that the spirits of the holy gods lives inside of you and that there is no mystery that is too deep for you. Daniel took time with the interpretation and finally returned to the king and said, I know exactly what this is. But the king could tell that Daniel was really, really messed up by it. And the king tried to comfort Daniel. And he said, Daniel, do not fear the dream or the interpretation. And Daniel said, I only wish this was about you or it wasn't about you. I wish it were about your enemies. But nevertheless, here's what the dream means. That tree that you saw, 
is you. You are that massive tree, that big life-producing tree that brings so much comfort and ease into people's life. This entire kingdom is built off of who you are. And unfortunately, you also will be cut down. That your kingdom will come to an end. However, the stump will not be removed. And after a time of seven years of you being cut off from your kingdom, you will return. And everything will go back as it was before with even greater glory and, gla and greater splendor than ever. Observation number two. Nebuchadnezzar has moved from seeing Daniel as useful to seeing him as unique. There is some spiritual science here, maybe a, a mathematical formula for getting to this point. It goes this way. Your resolve to always live and speak the word of God will make you useful to others. You see, when the spirit of the creator lives inside of you, you possess intimate knowledge, insight, compassion, patience, wisdom, all things that make you useful to other people. When you combine that with your loyalty to those God has placed in your life, even those who believe differently than you, this will make you unique to others. Think about it in terms, of, of terms like this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and love your neighbor as yourself. Daniel was doing this very thing, and the king was moved from seeing Daniel as useful to seeing him as unique. In a world where comfort, instant gratification, selfishness, we should stand out as both useful in what we have to offer the world and unique in our ability to stand with others who are different than us. One year later, the king is up on his roof and he's admiring everything around him, all the kingdoms that he has built. A year later, the king is up on his roof and he is, he is admiring all of Babylon and everything that he has done. <coughs> One year later, the king is up on the top. Uh, one year later, the king is up on top of the palace and he is noticing all of the beautiful things that he has done, all the things that he has created, this wonderful nation of Babylon that he has put together himself. And then he lets the words come out of his mouth and he says, look at everything I've done. Is this not just me? Did I not just do this all myself? Immediately, his mind is taken from him. He moves into the woods. He lives like an animal. He grows his hair long and his fingernails long. The dew of the ground is on him all the time. And he is just a strange creature living in the woods. And for seven years, this is what his life is like. Observation number three, your emotional and mental health is tied to your physical behavior. This may be one of the most unpopular things that I'll say today, but here's the truth. Many of us suffer more pain than we need because we refuse to follow God's design for our life. Many people assume that God's standard of living has something to do with God trying to be a control freak or trying to hold us to some puritanical lifestyle. God is not one-dimensional. Everything he asks of us has moral, physical, and emotional benefit. 
John chapter 5, the man who was crippled for 38 years. Jesus finds him later and says, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. This is not a threat. He is just stating the obvious. Romans chapter 1 says that they were handed over to a depraved mind. It's basically this. If you want to continue to sin, you want to live in sin, at some point you may be given over to it. Observation number three, your emotional and mental health is tied to your physical behavior. Within seven years, finally, the king caves and he acknowledges God to be the only God, the king of heaven, and the most powerful being in the world. And in that moment, his sanity is restored to him. He moves back into the palace. His caretakers come and they get him. They bring him back in. They clean him up. And he takes the throne again to finish his reign. Observation number four. We will either clothe, we will either clothe ourselves in humility or God will blanket us in humiliation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Galatians chapter six. Each one... Uh, Galatians 6, 4, each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. James 4, 6. But he gives more grace. That is why the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. James 4, 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Proverbs 27, 2. Let someone else praise you and not your own mouth, an outsider and not your own lips. Proverbs 10, 4. In his pride, the wicked man does not see him. In all his thoughts, there is no room for God. It is so interesting to me that we were given the ability to humble ourselves. You can alter how you see yourself. As one guy put it, we suffer from obsessive comparison disorder. We use, it to, we use it as a scale to see how we're doing in life, in marriage, in sin management, in social standing. But God finds our scales to be unjust. They're unfair and unproductive because we are biased. We want to see ourselves in a good light. But you can only see yourself clearly in the radiance of Jesus Christ, who was the light of the world. And whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. Observation number four, we will either clothe ourselves in humility or God will blanket us in humiliation. <clears throat>